0: CHAPTER eleven of the Girls of Gardenville by Carol Watson Rankin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. CHAPTER eleven Days and Dollars one. It was truly unfortunate that, of all the Gardenville girls, Tecla should have been the one most in need of money, for she was certainly the girl least fitted to earn it. There was no doubt, however, of the need her father had died 3 years previously leaving little vague indefinite mrs bliss and precisely similar tecla something less than 2000 dollars this had lasted until the girl had finished high school and mrs bliss as impractical a person as ever lived if one accepts tecla had taken in sewing though not with very much success it was said that her few long-suffering patrons were much more apt to be rewarded with excuses than with completed garments So, although she was a dear little woman in many ways, she was not able to keep the wolf at any very great distance. It was understood in Gardenville that Tecla would have to go to work before the summer was over in order to provide herself and her little illogical mother with an income. Fortunately, they owned a little home in a portion of the town where taxes were not high, and it is only just to say that Mrs. Bliss was not extravagant. Tecla had postponed what she called the evil day as long as she had dared, but now she was feeling very businesslike and very important indeed, for a surprising thing had happened. It was only five days since she had applied for a position with one of the nicest firms in Gardenville, and here she was with a working knowledge of the real estate business already at her pink fingertips. Literally, because her business was principally concerned with the typewriting machine in the office of Armstrong and Wolfe, The knowledge, perhaps, did not extend very far beyond her fingertips, because most of the letters she wrote at the dictation of her employers conveyed absolutely no meaning to her mind. But this did not trouble Tecla or anybody else. Her copy was neat as well as accurate, for Tecla had taken a course of typewriting lessons under an excellent teacher, and there was nothing about the completed letters to indicate that the typewriting young person was as innocent as the typewriter itself of the difference between the east half of Lot 57 in the northwest 40 of Scandia Township. Tecla was bright on the surface, but it was not her habit to go very deeply into things. You're wonderfully fortunate, said Geraldine Peace, who was five years older than Tecla, and, of course, much too old and settled to belong to the Sweet Sixteen. I've always wished I could work for Armstrong and Wolf. It's such a good place. How did you ever happen to get it? Oh, returned Tecla, overlooking Geraldine's somewhat uncomplimentary emphasis. Mr. Wolfe and father used to be friends, so when I applied for a position, I got it right away. You don't mean it, exclaimed Geraldine, genuinely surprised. I don't see how it happened. Why, you see, explained Tecla, Miss Dodd's sick father telegraphed for her to go east, and they needed somebody to take her place at once. I'm to have thirty dollars a month. "'Well,' said Geraldine, half-enviously, "'some folks do have luck.' "'Some have more than I do,' sighed Tecla. "'They don't have to work at all.' The senior partner, Mr. Wolfe, who was almost sixty but looked younger, was a large man, so well-proportioned in every way that his great height did not impress one until he stood looking down upon some ordinary six-footer. His shoulders were broad, his hands and feet huge, his good-natured mouth was wide, and his big, steady eyes were mild. Indeed, the only thing about him that was at all wolf-like was his name. Everybody loved and respected him, and because of his kindly but rather quaint ways, he had very few enemies. No unfortunate person had ever appealed to him in vain. Yet, in spite of his amiability, he was seldom imposed upon. Tecla was conscious of no desire to impose on Mr. Wolf, or indeed on anyone else. But she was young, It was summertime, often there were no letters to be answered, and she found the long, dull office hours irksome, especially when there was little to do. The baseball match between the teams of her own town in Ironwood was the beginning of her fall from grace. The sweet sixteen, armed with tin horns, gay with fluttering scarlet ribbons, and properly chaperoned, wanted to go in a body, and of course Tecla wanted to go, too. The office closed at four on Saturday afternoons, and at half-past five on other days, and work was supposed to begin at half-past eight each morning. It seemed to the restless girl that two hours' playtime on Saturday afternoon ought not to make much difference to the firm, and she asked if she might be excused. It is probable that she would not have enjoyed the game so well if she had suspected that Mr. Wolfe, whose large blunt fingers did not lend themselves gracefully to typewriting, had been compelled to answer at considerable length, and with much discomfort, two important letters that had arrived in the afternoon mail. Mr. Armstrong, the other partner, had not learned to use a typewriter, and always had enough to do besides in his own special department, where he was principally concerned with a lot of queer maps that meant nothing at all to Tecla, but a great deal to the firm. The ball game was only the opening wedge, Tecla was popular and in great demand by the rest of the Sweet Sixteen. The girls were having a glorious time that summer, and it seemed really too bad that one of them should have to be earning bread and butter. At first, indeed, the girls stood out bravely, refusing all daytime amusements, but after that first baseball game, Tecla found it so easy to ask and to obtain a leave of absence for part of Monday morning, all of Tuesday afternoon, three-quarters of Wednesday, or every bit of Thursday, that Mr. Armstrong— an irascible wiry man with nervous dyspepsia, began to fear that Mr. Wolfe was in danger of being compelled to do all the firm's typewriting. One forenoon, Mr. Armstrong observed Tecla, who had arrived three-quarters of an hour late, looking at the clock with more than her usual irritating frequency. When not occupied with this futile employment, she was casting impatient glances at a visitor who had, in her opinion, already stayed far too long. Armstrong knew what her impatience portended. The door had barely closed behind the visitor before Tecla had taken the intruder's place beside Mr. Wolfe's big desk. "'Oh, Mr. Wolfe,' she said in her bright, pretty, pleading but businesslike way, "'should you mind very much if I were to go home a little earlier? "'It's almost eleven, you know. "'I'm going to a party tonight. "'It's Mabel Mercer's, and I want to try on the new gown Mother's making for me. "'It's just the prettiest dress.' Mr. Wolf glanced from the papers in his big hand to the office clock. "'This letter,' he began. "'Couldn't I do it the first thing this afternoon?' pleaded Tekla eagerly. Mr. Wolf hesitated with the usual result. "'You see,' pursued Tekla, "'mother can't do a thing more to that waste until I've tried it on.' "'Well, if that's the case, I suppose—' "'Oh, thank you!' cried Tekla, darting away. Mr. Armstrong, who had suffered in silence for six weeks, rose and slammed the door. That girl's the limit, he snapped. If I had my way, I'd fire her so quick she wouldn't know what had happened. In that case, said Mr. Wolfe, she probably wouldn't realize why she was fired, and the experience wouldn't do her any good. It would do me good, declared Mr. Armstrong. "She is utterly impossible. No, said Mr. Wolfe, not quite that. "'There's good stuff in that girl, if one knew how to reach it. "'It means something in this business, where figures count for so much, "'to have a girl who is absolutely accurate. "'And absolutely ignorant,' sneered Mr. Armstrong, "'whose love for the older partner made him quick to resent anything "'that seemed like an imposition. "'And Tecla, at that moment, certainly seemed very much like one. "'Well,' returned Mr. Wolfe mildly, "'as long as typewriting is all I expect of her, I don't mind that.' So far, those quick, slim little fingers of hers haven't made a mistake. Miss Dodd, as you know, got us into hot water about eighteen times last year by her inability to stick to straight copy. Yes, admitted Armstrong, I haven't forgotten how we sold part of section thirty-two when we supposed we were buying thirty-seven at a bargain. But that's not saying that her successor has the making of a businesswoman in her. Yet I maintain, persisted Mr. Wolfe, "'that there's good stuff in that little girl, "'though she does seem to lack a realizing sense. "'Or any other kind of sense. "'She isn't giving you three solid days' work a week. "'She's giving me more,' said Wolf, smiling whimsically, "'and casting a rueful glance at his big, outstretched fingers "'as he sat down at Tecla's typewriter. "'If they weren't built so like sausages, I wouldn't mind, "'but it seems to me that I hit everything within six inches "'every time I aim for a key. "'Look at that.' figure two for A every time. But bad as it is, it's far more legible than my handwriting. Why don't you give the girl a good talking to if she's worth taking pains with? Well, confessed Mr. Wolfe, inserting a fresh sheet, and with one heavy forefinger, laboriously ticking off the date. To tell the truth, I have. I went around there one night about three weeks ago and talked to her like a grandfather. "'You know you can't be right down hard on a little light-hearted thing like that. "'Her mother doesn't seem much older than she is, and they certainly do need the money. "'I talked to them both.' "'How did they take it?' "'Wolf's large countenance took on an odd, half-baffled, half-whimsical expression. "'Well,' said he, "'they seemed quite pleased.' "'Humph!' exploded Mr. Armstrong indignantly. "'I'll talk to her.' "'No, you won't,' said Mr. Wolfe. Resting his large, calm eyes for a long moment on his partner's perturbed countenance. Talk just rolls off that girl like salad dressing from an iced tomato. Some sort of a kindergarten method might work better. I'm willing to take a little pains with her because of her father. Mighty nice chap was old Samuel Bliss. Now don't you worry, Armstrong. She'll be trying to work 13 hours a day the way you do before I'm done with her. What are you going to do? asked Armstrong curiously. "'I haven't figured the thing out yet,' returned Tekla's kindly employer. "'But I think I'm beginning to see the light.' 2. Nothing on paper had ever looked quite as beautiful to Tekla as the crisp blue check she had received at the end of her first month's sadly neglected work. The envelope, addressed to Miss Tekla Bliss and placed on her table, had greeted her the morning she was so late after Mabel Mercer's birthday party. She had overslept, and her soft-hearted little mother had hated to disturb her. That evening, Tecla had proudly exhibited her check to as many of the Sweet Sixteen as she could find. "'How lovely!' said Caroline Flanders. thirty whole dollars, and I've never earned as much as thirty cents. "'I'm green with envy!' "'How beautiful!' cried Rhea Margrave, "'and to think that a little mite like you earned it all!' "'Why, little Tecla Bliss!' exclaimed Catherine Denham. "'Here I am, twice as big as you are, and therefore worth twice as much. "'Do you think they'd give it to me? "'You'd better look out. "'I'll go to that office of yours and cry. "'Wolf, Wolf, here's a girl twice as big as the one you have. "'She can do twice as much work, so she wants twice as much pay. "'You'd better mind your P's and Q's, my lady, or I'll do it.' "'How splendid to be a person of consequence,' said Helen Roxbury, "'whose chocolate nougat would have admitted her in spite of her great age.' She was all of eighteen when the girls discovered her, to any candy club. Just think of being worth thirty dollars a month to anybody. Why, I'd be too proud to walk on plain ordinary earth. It's the loveliest thing that ever happened, sighed Tecla rapturously, and the work isn't a bit hard. For three days after receiving the check, Tecla had experienced something surprisingly like a sense of duty. It hurried her to the office and kept her there until closing time, and her mildly astonished employers eyed her with something that was almost approval. It seemed too good to last, and it proved no better than it seemed. The glamour of the check and the unprecedented sense of duty flickered out together by the afternoon of the fourth day when Tekla succumbed at half past two to the temptation in the form of a naphtha launch picnic. It was given by the Roxbury girls as a substitute for a regular Sweet Sixteen meeting, and of course Tekla couldn't think of missing it. During the days that followed, Mr. Armstrong noticed that his partner frequently paused in his work to lean back and regard Tecla with puzzled, almost remorseful eyes. Sometimes, while so engaged, he scribbled something in a little book that he carried in his waistcoat pocket. Toward the end of the month, the puzzled expression departed, but the sorrow remained. Mr. Armstrong could see that although the kind-hearted old man had made up his mind what course to take with Tecla, he was far from happy over the prospect. Armstrong had never known his partner to appear so downcast. Tecla, however, had no misgivings. She continued to arrive late, to go home early, and to absent herself whenever she happened to feel like it. This was pretty often, but neither of her employers said a word. "'You certainly do have an easy time in that office, don't you?' observed Geraldine Peace, meeting Tecla one noon in holiday attire. "'I don't dare ask for a day off once in six weeks,' And when I do, Mr. Hubbard looks as if I'd asked for twenty. Oh, I'm not afraid, returned Tecla airily. Mr. Wolf isn't the scolding kind, I'm happy to say. He says I'm the neatest typewriter he's ever had, when I'm there. Mr. Armstrong looks like a thundercloud all the time. I guess it's just a habit of his. But Mr. Wolf lets me go whenever I ask. I never heard of such a thing. Why, sometimes I don't even ask bragged tecla i just walk right out but asked geraldine curiously haven't you any conscience in this matter not a scrap laughed tecla i should think said geraldine severely that you'd like to feel that you're earning your salary as long as i'm getting it returned complacent tecla i'm satisfied i only wish it were bigger you get 40 don't you yes and i earn it snapped geraldine I haven't been five minutes late in three years. How perfectly dreadful, smiled Tecla. If I were you, I'd start right in and be late every day for a week, just to see how it felt. Payday was approaching, and Tecla was glad. There was no other day that she liked quite as well, and none that took longer to come. She had almost worn her calendar out, crossing off the days that were not paydays. Just before the most important of dates, Mr. Wolfe said one morning, "'Never mind Miss Bliss's check, Armstrong. I'll attend to it myself.' It was the 31st of August, and for the first morning in two weeks, Tecla was not late. After hanging up her hat, she turned expectantly toward her table, but no white envelope greeted her. She slipped into her chair, wishing that she hadn't been in such a hurry to get to the office. She regretted that she hadn't stopped as she had thought of doing to spend five minutes. Tecla's five minutes were always exceedingly elastic.' with the Roxbury girls. Suddenly, however, ponderous Mr. Wolfe rose from his chair and laid a large, oddly lumpy envelope before her. It looked nothing like the one she had received the month previously, and Tecla regarded it wonderingly. As she picked it up, Mr. Wolfe, who had already taken his hat from its peg, turned toward his partner. "'Come, Armstrong,' he said. "'You mustn't forget that appointment we have with Davis at the bank.' Thus considerately left alone, Tecla opened her large envelope. Inside were twenty-seven smaller packets, on the outside of each of which was printed neatly, one dollar eleven cents. Please count immediately. Besides this, each envelope bore a date, one for every day in August, Sundays accepted. Tecla, wondering what it all meant, opened one of the envelopes, spread the enclosed coin on her table, and counted. "'Why?' exclaimed Tecla. "'I must have made a mistake. I'm eighteen cents short.' but the second count brought no better result. Ninety-three cents was all the packet contained. Laying it aside for future consideration, Tekla opened the next tiny envelope. Something was wrong with that, too. It contained only seventy-eight cents. Three packets only contained the full amount, one dollar and eleven cents. These, however, were offset by two others, holding respectively nineteen and fourteen cents, while a third enclosed absolutely nothing but a large Canadian penny. Tecla gasped and looked at the date. It was August 10th. Now what, mused Tecla, beginning to see the light, was I doing on the... Oh, yes, that was Virginia's birthday. I telephoned Mr. Wolf that I wouldn't be down that day because I was invited to help Virginia celebrate. Tecla, with a flush creeping into her cheeks, counted her money. It amounted to fifteen dollars and seventy-five cents a slip of paper attached to the newest of the dollar bills caught her attention with heightened color she read the words an honest day deserves an honest dollar an honest day an honest day repeated tecla regarding with misty eyes the heap of silver and copper coin does he mean that the other days weren't honest an hour later when mr Wolfe and mr armstrong returned and hung up their hats without giving a glance toward the corner by the window Tecla's cheeks were red, her eyes were resolute, the machine was giving forth short, sharp, metallic clicks, and all around the industrious girl were neatly typewritten pages, for Tecla was doing an honest day's work. She did not have a relapse into her old, easy-going habits, although her typewriter settled down gradually to a smooth, comfortable gait, and Mr. Wolfe's open countenance lost the half-worried, half-ashamed expression that it had worn for almost two months. Nothing was said, but when payday came again, Tecla received two checks, Mr. Armstrong's for thirty dollars and Mr. Wolf's for fourteen dollars and twenty-five cents. Choosing a moment when Mr. Armstrong was absent, Tecla laid the second check on Mr. Wolfe's desk. "'I didn't earn it,' said she briefly. "'Not this month, perhaps,' said Mr. Wolfe, pushing the slip toward Tecla, and smiling the big kind smile that was a true index to a man's big kind heart.' But you've more than made up for it since. Mr. Armstrong says you're worth two, Miss Dodds. That's a good deal for Mr. Armstrong, you know. Oh, I'm glad, breathed Tekla fervently. That's worth all the picnics I've missed. End of chapter 11